You're listening to Road to CEO, nothing but in-depth interviews with executives about their journeys as CEO. I'm your host, Will Marlowe, and I hope you enjoy the show. You grow and your team grows, you feel a greater responsibility for their well, well-being. Yeah. And, um, you know, at your own sacrifice sometimes. Welcome back to another episode of Road to CEO. I'm joined today with Bill Mallory, who is building a business in, well, actually, Bill will tell us all about it. He's, he's kind of based in Virginia Beach, and he's also ba- but he runs a business that's based in Northern Virginia, does a lot of work in Northern Virginia. So we'll hear about how that works. Um, he's got a ton of experience. It's going to be a great conversation. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Will. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. I look forward to it. Yeah, well, um, so why don't we start by hearing a little bit about your business? What what's the what's the name of the business, um, and what do you guys do? Well, our business is uh, Nova Build Pros, Northern Virginia Building Professionals, um, and uh, we, we'll do anything to a house. We do some um, commercial work as well. We are large enough to do any size project to a house, and um, we can get into some you know small to medium sized commercial commercial work, and we're but we're still small enough to be agile and responsive and, um, you know, really do those kind of unique projects that uh, our customer base is looking for. Yeah. And, and I know, of course, cause you and I have done work together. Um, I know, I know a bit about your business, but what, what kinds of things do you do to a house? You know, decks, uh, patios, so, you know, what type of stuff are we talking about? Yeah. So, um, when uh, when I joined the business with my partner Chris Poland, um, he had a predominantly um, he had predominantly done work in, in fencing, and uh, we wanted to expand on that a little bit, knowing you know my background in, in engineering and project management and his contacts up there. We had the opportunity to launch into into building into residential construction and remodeling, and so we quickly began you know building decks, remodeling kitchens, mm-hmm. bathrooms, a lot of roofing, siding projects and, um, you know, patios, driveways, just just about anything to a house. I'd say we do more interior remodeling and uh, and additions um, now that uh, we um, started moving into um, into home renovations and construction. So, so so it's really any way that a homeowner would want to improve their house grow their house, you know, a fence, a deck, a patio, a kitchen. What about like a pop-up, another room? Yeah, we'll do basement build-outs are very popular in Northern Virginia, not so much down here because of our, um, our, the water table. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, you know, there's a variety of, of, of reasons and we'll help coach and advise and steer homeowners too, because they may want a huge renovation so that they can get return on their investment for a sale. And, you know, we, we can give them advice about what to try, what not to try. And, um, you know, if they want to stay in the house for a long time, but they think it may not be great to do a kitchen remodel for resale purposes because they, uh, data has shown that they'll get 85% return on their investment or, or something similar to that. You know, our, our advice is, Hey, 
you know, do it for you. If you're in it for the long haul, yeah, you know, do what makes sense for your family and 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 suits your needs. So, but uh, yeah, we can. You know, we do a lot of the um, additions uh, to for growing families and a basement build outs, things like that. Okay. So, and how many people do you have working for you at this point? Well, we have five on payroll and, you know, we have a ability to surge with uh, subcontractors like a lot of um, general contractors do. Yeah. Um, anywhere from another 10, 10 to 15 at any one time. And, and now we're probably at that higher end. Very cool. Very cool. So, and then, so talk a little bit about the geography now. So, cause you're based in Virginia, in the Virginia beach area, I think. So I live in Virginia beach. I retired from the military about five years ago and Chris mm -hmm. and I have been friends forever. And, um, um, you know, his, uh, resources and the initial business Northern Virginia fence company are, are obviously up in Northern Virginia. And I helped originally when I joined, uh, Chris, I helped to kind of organize the business, um, put metrics in place, um, do, do the books, do the accounting, do the hires, fires, get some, um, put some rigor into the sales process yeah. forms and uh, some, some CRM type uh, applications and, and marketing as well. Um, our, our office is up in, in Northern Virginia, as, as mm -hmm. you know, and um, you know, that's where, our, that's where our staff is mostly. Um, you know, since that time that we originally opened, I began building my own house. And in that process, I have um, developed a lot of uh, contacts and use a lot of subcontractors here. And, uh, you know, that's kind of caught fire down here. I have three projects in my neighborhood and another in Norfolk uh, for remodels as well. So we're building some capability down here that we didn't really anticipate and in, in kind of expanding, which is good. Sure. As it's downsides, but it's good. Yeah. That's interesting though. Cause I, I'm always, I'm always uh, excited to hear about kind of personal investments that turn into business opportunities kind of. So you, so you started building out your, your house and that created some business opportunities. It sounded like, because you grew your network to do that. Is yeah. That happened? Right. Right. You know, I, yeah. I have, some skill in home building. I mean, I can, I'm an engineer and, and I'm, I'm kind of mechanically inclined and, and I can, I just don't have the capacity to build my entire, entire house. So I had to have subcontractors. Yeah. A, because I want to stay married at the end of my project and, and B, um, because I just, um, you know, I can't physically do the work in the time frame required, um, yeah. the constraints required, you know, and so, um, yeah, I got, you know, great, great masons and framers and finishers. Um, so, yeah. So you, yeah, you mentioned the, uh, the dynamics of being married while you're, where you're doing this. And so I, I kind of, when I was, when I was first getting ready to start, you know, building my business, um, you know, I was, I was married, I was kind of newly married and, you know, it didn't have much money and, you know, I, you know, my wife would want to go out to dinner and that sort of thing. And, and, um, you know, and I, I would go out with her, I, I'd take her out. And the, um, but my, uh, I, I had, I had this partnership with Google where I, they sent me all this photography equipment because they were starting to do these Google virtual tours. And, 
And I really wasn't doing them very much. I mean, I, that really wasn't my thing because I was building an advertising company. But I would go out to eat with her and and I would, you know, kind of slip away and try to sell the owner on uh, on me doing a virtual tour for them. And uh, and it would kind of sort of, you know, it would pay for the dinner and, uh, you know, and then some. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it worked out pretty well, actually. Um, yeah, until until my business took off, you know, I it, it was interesting. Um the, the virtual tours with Google provided a little bit of a safety net because for me, because I knew, you know, it would cost about a thousand bucks for somebody to create a virtual tour at the time. And so I knew that if I needed a thousand bucks, I could go out there and find somebody that needed a virtual tour. Um, and, uh, and then I'd, I'd have a little bit of extra cash flow. Um, and, uh, uh, that provided for me anyway, a bit of the secure feeling of, even though that's not a ton of money, it, it yeah. made me feel like, okay, well, I'm at least going to be able to pay my rent. I'm at least going to be able to, you know, to, to, you know, go get groceries or, or go to a, a nice restaurant. Absolutely. I mean, you have to turn over every stone, right? I mean, you, you um, kind of got to uh, look for uh, new, new opportunities and, and things that you may not be comfortable with. Yeah. Me personally and and figure out how to do it. Yeah. So you have a background in the military and so how, how much time were you in? Was it a 20 year kind of military career? I was five years in school and then 23 years after school active duty. Awesome. In the Navy. Yep. That's 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 wonderful service. Yeah. Well, um, I enjoyed it. It um, you know, it's kind of funny when I was a teenager. I knew I was an entrepreneur. I had a shrimp boat when I was 14 and I'd go out all night shrimping and sell the shrimp. And that was not very successful, but it was eye-opening to, to <laughs> the, the income and expenses of a small business. Uh, you know, of course, I, like every other kid, used to mow lawns and do work around the neighborhood and, and stuff. I was, you know, eight to 10 years old. And, um, you know, I've always, you know, in, enjoyed that type of work. And when I joined the military, it was, um, very satisfying working with a great, um, you know, cadre of, uh, professionals and, um, being trusted with, uh, some high dollar assets uh, by the taxpayer, very satisfying, but, but your career path is kind of laid out for you. Right. You know, step one to step, you know, 15. And so there's not much, well, there's some flexibility, but there's, it doesn't take an entrepreneurial drive to, to, it, it's a lot different. And so yeah. when I retired five years ago or so, um, you know, I got that back quickly and, 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 um, you know, just, just knew what I wanted to do. And, and, you know, some of the tools I learned in the military, a lot of the schooling I had, a lot of the, you know, leadership opportunities that I was given, uh, obviously helped in a small business environment as well. But, um, yeah, you know, so, did you find it frustrating to be in the military because you had this entrepreneurial drive? I, I didn't find it frustrating. There was enough work to keep me distracted, yeah. uh, for sure. Um, you know, three, four deployments and workups and having yeah. a couple other folks uh, in your trust, uh, in your department or your command. Um, you know, there was there was plenty there. Yeah. Um, it, it was just a little bit different. It wasn't that it was harder or easier. It was just it was, uh, it was different. And yeah. um, no, I, I didn't, I didn't really realize that I had, um, lacked the opportunities that I had as a small business owner until 
until I left the military. Okay. And then it was just like, it was eye opening. Yeah. Um, the opportunities out there. I, it was eye opening for me as well. I was not in the military, of course, but I was in, I, I went to work on Capitol Hill, um, which I, I grew up inside the beltway and, um, uh, you know, after college, I got some opportunities to be in politics and, um, and there were some exciting things about it. You know, there were things that were really um, just invigorating. And, and I think, like, like you said, you know, there's a lot there to sort of keep you occupied. Um, but it was so eye opening to me when I left after about four years to be an entrepreneur, because, you know, when I as an entrepreneur, the best idea can win, you know, the best method of doing things can win, you know, you, you know, you, generally speaking, most entrepreneurs are not kind of married to the process that existed because that's why they want to create their own business because they want to start, they want, they want to find the right process. And I remember it was this immense sense of freedom for me, um, to it once I was out and, and once I was out of government. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you know, talk about the world's your oyster. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And, some of the decisions are going to be the right ones and some aren't. And it's funny because, um, ironically politics, uh, uh, probably the thing that drove me away from the military really. Yeah. I started to get it. I was in a staff job at the time and passionate about what I did like I am now. And, um, uh, you know, it seemed like the, uh, politics were getting a little bit too involved for my liking and, and yeah. I wanted to make make a change. How do you describe your role in in Nova Build? Um, you know, I'm I started out as kind of the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker in in the in the office, right? So I know that it's not productive for one person to try to do all aspects of the business, and I had to set everything up at, at first get a framework for operations. And so, you know, I coming from a military background and my guys kind of laugh at me. We started with kind of strategic documents. What do we want to do? Where do we want to go? How do we want to grow? And, and then we went, we moved all the way down to kind of operations to down to the tactical level where, you know, what is every employee when he comes in, what do they expect? What are they supposed, supposed to be doing? what you know so that we don't have redundancies in the office and inefficiencies what is this salesperson supposed to be doing that this office person shouldn't do and vice versa and so after developing those sorts of framework then you know as more operations then we have a daily weekly drumbeat of meetings and uh, um you know we we develop uh, systems on how to you know conduct a, a sale um, of course we had our, you know, margins and profit in, uh, calculators in there. Um, and then, you know, the kind of the operations during the, during the installations and after, and, and how we kept track of everything down to the banking, which is more kind of my, one of my main, main roles on, you know, what is, um, you know, um, you know, from, from profitability of jobs to, um, um, assets and liabilities because we collect, you know, deposits up front. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, we hold on to those, put them in sort of an escrow account, um, so that we don't overextend ourselves. 
Um, so, and then project management as well. Some of the more complicated jobs, I'll get involved in the project management, some of the, the pricing, some of the uh, design and construction and fabrication even, and, you know, yeah. welded up some um, jobs, some steel structures required for certain, for certain jobs, some structural, some just design. Um, and when everything's just smoking along in the office, I can get out sometimes and play in the field and go um, swing hammers and run some wires, and, you know, talk to customers and work with the subcontractors, which is what I like to do. Although <clears throat> I'm a little bit limited in time, but uh, I enjoy that. So, um, you know, I'm in contact with the office half a dozen uh, to 10 times a day talking to the sales guys, talking to my co-owner and um, the office uh, manager. And then of course, with my subcontractors down here as well. So I'm on the phone a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, it's tough, but it's necessary. You know? Yeah. I, I can relate to a lot of what you said there. Um, and I like how, you know, you kind of started with the strategic side of things. So you actually put together some strategic documents you said in the beginning, to yeah. sort of guide where you guys wanted to go? Yes. Yeah, I did. Um, and funny, I, you know, before I got out of the military, I was, I, I did a tour in Afghanistan. I was in a provincial reconstruction team and they're responsible for security governance and infrastructure kind of, um, create the, uh, um, the vessels to kind of vasculate the, the lines of communication between the local and the, uh, federal government down there so that, um, federal funds and international aid can work its way down to essentially meet the, um, the needs of their, their population through the local government channels and kind of stem corruption and those sorts of things. And we're stuck in the Netherlands of the Hindu Kush up uh, mountains up in the Nuristan um, by, by Pakistan. And there wasn't much attention in the, in the region we were, we were in. Um, that didn't have a large kind of, you know, GDP or local domestic product. Um, okay. and, and so, you know, along with my civil affairs team, and this is kind of, I'm going somewhere with this, but so bear with me. We, we, we really kind of developed some of this, a similar framework in, in how we would meet the needs of the local population and, and root out corruption. Root out, and so we spent a lot of time there developing similar mm -hmm. documentation that I was able to use the methodology for that in my business, um, starting with what, what, what was our objective? You know, we wanted to reach critical mass in the area of our operation. And <clears throat> until we would get a, you know, diminishing point of return on our investment yeah. dollars in that, in that uh, finite area, call it, you know, Manassas and, you know, 15 miles around it. And once we did that, then we would expand to other areas with the same with the same model, and then you know get critical mass in those areas and kind of kind of grow out. Um, and, and so that is the, that was the initial strategic framework. Um, it it um, you know and we started to act on that and realize that um, your overhead really climbs exponentially in that. Um, probably three to five million revenue range of, of business, and and your return on investment isn't isn't uh, nearly as good as when you're staying just a little bit more confined and smaller operation. And so we contracted a little bit deliberately 
um, to gain efficiencies there. And so it was, it was a big eye opener for me and a learning curve. I've heard other CEOs talk about making that leap over the three to 5 million and jumping yeah. into a million. And it's a, it's a monumental, um, uh, it's 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 a large large effort there, and I, I don't think we were ready to undertake it at that time. This was yeah. at probably one point five to two year point, so I, you know I, we just weren't ready at that time, and that's fine. Um, we really have to find our niche and, and kind of stick with it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. So so you really applied some some of the stuff you really you did over in Afghanistan to that kind of strategic thinking into the process of kind of building your business in that way. Yeah, yeah, not not just over there, but um, you know, throughout my military career, I mean, that's yeah. kind of how 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 we operate, right? Yeah, we're given marching orders from somewhere, and they're rooted in um, the national military strategy to the national security strategy, and all the way up, up the chain of command. Yeah, and um, you know, I figured it worked then. It's got to work for a small business, right? I would think so. I, I've always thought that it's amazing background to to go through the military. I, I know the, the 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 people I know who've come out of the military have very methodical minds, very methodical thought processes, and I've always kind of envied that. I don't. I, I've never. I'm a big believer in being aware of your own strengths, and for me, I have creativity. I have. Um, insight, you know, there are certain strengths that I certainly have, you know, I'm not just being modest, but my, my methodical, being methodical is not one of my strengths. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've always, I've always envied that to a certain extent, that kind of methodical pursuit of, of, you know, a good plan, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if you'd agree that, that being methodical is something you sort of develop in the military or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, planning of uh, operations, I mean, it, it is, there is this MDMP, military decision-making process, right? So you have a big operation, you start with, well, how much time do you have to plan it? And if it's, you know, three days, then they say, well, you got to take this much time and do, and do your prep and commander's intent, this much time and do your this and this. And they said it, it yeah. all out. So there's a lot of advantage to that, but there's also... Uh, advantage to creativity and fluidity sure. as well as, as you you know you you obviously possess those those attributes and it's good you know it's good to recognize that. I mean that's one of my weaknesses I know it so you try to pull from people like yourself and and other guys on my team to you know to bring that attribute uh, in into the fold. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and that's that's exactly what I did. Where I, as I'm hiring, that that has been, you know, I know that I need a chief operating officer. I knew that I needed that, and um, and that was a huge step for me to have somebody in that role in my company, uh, because there are just certain, you know, there's certain things where, you know, I, I'm a very strategic person. But I'm not an operating executive. You know, I've never, you know, I've not gotten an MBA. I've not, you know, um, and I and I just even if I did get an MBA, I, I doubt that that would turn me into an operating executive. Um, but uh, I, and, and I have picked up. I mean, there is certainly, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to overstate it. I mean, I, I certainly have developed certain skills, but but it's not the role I want to be in. You know, I don't want to be. Uh, you know, that, that's not the skill set that I really, you know, I want somebody in, in that role who loves it and who really excels in it and enjoys it. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
so we've talked about kind of you know your background where you've come from i want to hear more about this shrimp boat though so so that was that was your first uh kind of business experience so yeah you know when when we were growing up my dad he had a military background as well it's kind of the forest cup family both grandparents my older brother my dad um all had some military background and um my dad wanted everybody to kind of you know, cut their teeth in a small business. So we lived in Northern Virginia, and that's where I met uh, Chris, my, my partner, business partner. And at the time, uh, we were down in um, Noakesville, and, and my brother, my dad helped my brother start a firewood business. So he's out there cutting trees and chopping logs, and he had this old international truck that had about probably 20 degrees of play in the steering. And, uh, and well, when he retired, we moved down to Panama City, Florida. I was 13 or 14, and you know, through probably the uh, Jedi mind trick of, of your parents, right? They, you know, I bought this, uh, I was 14, I bought this uh, old Pinto. I restored it, bought it for 75 bucks, restored it, put it, he helped me put a, do a couple things to the engine. We sold it for 750 and then I ended up buying this shrimp boat. And it was a um, Cypress hold shrimp boat, 19 feet long, had a World War II Gray Marine Coast Guard engine in it. And it was uh, inboard. So you had to take this compartment take the top off, take the sides off to access the flywheel on the front. And then you put the crank in the flywheel and you started it by hand <laughs> while you're manipulating the throttle and clutch. You start this thing up and, uh, it, it, you know, it was, it was unique. It was, it was kind of fun at times. It just, you know, for a 14 year old, probably yeah. not really what you, what you want to do unless you throw a keg on it and go pick your friends up at the ballpark. Sure. And drive <laughs> which I will not say happened uh, um, in case my parents watch this, but it might have. Um, and then once a year, you got to take the boat out of the water and you got to keep it full of water. So the boards swell and, and don't leak. And then if there's any rotten boards, you got to replace them quickly because yeah. um, you don't want the other ones to dry out. And then you have to pack them with, pack the seams with cotton, caulk it, paint it all while it's trying to leak. It's kind of it's a lot of work. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of work, a lot of work. And, and this was down in Florida. Yeah, down in Panama City, Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I went to high school, and when my dad retired, where he retired to. Wow. But, so, uh, so then you go out on this, you you throw your yeah. net in. How, how does that work with? <laughs> yeah, you got a um. So the so on the back of the boat, there's about a four by eight platform. Yeah. And you got this uh, net that uh, consists of these two doors that have chains on them and a line and they meet about whatever 30 40 feet in front of the doors and between the nets on the bottom there's a chain it's called the tickle chain six inches behind that is the lead line and the lead line is the start of the net and then there's a cork line above it and the lead line and cork line separate the net and the doors are heavy and they keep the uh, net along the bottom Okay. And it, it scrapes you, you know, you go shrimping in grassy areas and the tickle chain hits the shrimp. They pop up, the net scoops them up and they all go back into a funnel that's tied shut at the back. Well, once an hour, you, you know, you, you troll this thing around it and I'm, I'm mistake, misstating this for sure. You know, three knots or something like that, two to three knots walking speed. Okay. And then you, you pull this thing up. And if you, you know, if you're a good shrimper, then you, you know, you pour out this, <laughs> bounty a shrimp onto the deck you cull through it get the crabs the small fish out i had to get um crab pots out logs out all this other junk because i wasn't a good shrimper uh you know these guys have been doing it their whole lives right so um 
and then you you know you collect the shrimp, you wash them off, and uh, and sell them to your parents' friends. <laughs> <laughs> so and was, it, was it just you out there? Or did you bring people out? Uh, with you? you know, it was sometimes it was just me, and sometimes um, it was me and a couple friends. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really funny. I yeah, I had a uh, just a lawn mowing business, um, and um, so I, I feel like yeah, you were definitely more advanced as an entrepreneur at that age than I was. I don't know. I don't know. I could have skipped that chapter, I think, and been just fine. <laughs> so 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 the, so the picture you're painting for me is not that this was this wasn't like the Bubba Gump shrimp company. I was only probably had it for two years. I was so happy to get rid of it. You know. <laughs> Your you know favorite parts of owning a boat is the day you buy it and the day you sell it, right? Something like oh, that. Oh, right. Okay, so it, so this was an expensive investment, maybe. It wasn't. Uh, I mean, the boat was a thousand bucks. I had seven fifty okay. and had cash from you know yeah. mowing lawns and doing other things, yeah, odd jobs, and um, you know, and I, I think I traded it for a seventy-two Thunderbird. Oh. And by the time I was done shrimping, I would trade it for just about anything. <laughs> um. So I was happy, happy to do that. I think yeah. I ended up selling that car later, but it was, it was good. That's really cool. Um, so, uh, and I also think it's great that your dad encouraged you and, and your brothers to, to cut their teeth, cut your teeth in uh, small business. Yeah. Yeah. So um, did you, so after when you sold it, you got a, a cool car um, and, uh, and then, but, and then you kind of, did you always want to get back into being, you know, your own boss, being an entrepreneur at that point? Yeah, I always, uh, I always did. Um, you know, I used to detail cars at, at one point and, um, you know, then, you know, school and kind of sports took over, I think a little bit. And, um, yeah. so it was a little more difficult and I really only had time in the summers. Yeah. Um, and so I would try to do some, odd job construction or, or something like that, which I enjoyed. Um, and then I went off to, to school and, you know, it was just, there was no time. Yeah, sure, sure. So I want to talk a little bit about your evolution as a CEO. So, you know, got a good idea of your background and, and kind of what, you know, what you brought into being a CEO. And you've now been a CEO for, I think, approximately five years. Or maybe uh, longer. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's about right. About right. Yeah. So, so how have you changed as a CEO? Like, do you feel like you're the same kind of CEO you were you are today that you were when you first started, or have you, you know, have you shifted anything kind of in your mindset or your approach? Well, you know, it's. I don't mean this condescendingly, but it, um, it's it's kind of like being a parent. Yeah. In that. Um, you know, the decisions you make before you're a parent are probably a little bit different than the decisions you make after you're a parent. Yeah, yeah. And so you, um, as, as you grow and your team grows, you feel a greater responsibility for their well, well-being. Yeah. And, um, you know, at your own sacrifice sometimes. And, um, you know, it, it can be frustrating at times, just like with your kids. And, yeah. and so, you know, I guess you know, you feel like they're part of your family. You feel like hey, you got to yeah. make sure that you're making payroll. You got some professional growth opportunities. You're making contact at the right times with the right employees and, you know, still checks and balances on their decisions and, and stuff, but you got to trust, trust and verify. 
And so, um, you know, you know, I guess my role as a CEO grew along with my company and, and, and I took the same tools that I used in, in the military when I was leading folks um, into, into the small business as well. But you got to realize you're different. You're uh, dealing with a different uh, animal, uh, so to speak, and um, you know different different backgrounds, different yeah. capability sets. And they weren't, um, you know, in the military. You're if you're working on jets, you you go to you know basic kind of basic training, and then you go to this A school where you learn how to turn wrenches on jets. Then you go out in the fleet, and then you learn. You know, it's it's gradually you're yeah. you're kind of farmed to be this person that that you are when you're an independent. You know wrench turner on jets on top of an aircraft carrier. Um, sometimes we're plucking guys off the street and you say, Hey, look, now you're a fill in the blank. And, um, and there's gotta be some, you know, growth opportunity and some training and coaching and mentoring for that individual. And it's a little different from that aspect. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, so what I did on my end was I created a training program, you know, I've, and it's an online training program, which I mean, my whole business is really online with, with digital marketing. And so for me, you know, uh, a big part of it is, is making sure that if somebody joins my team, they know, first of all, how to do their work well, but second of all, they really need to do it a very similar way, if not an identical way to the way that I do it or the way that, you know, that, that we as a company do it, you know, we, we, you know, and then, and then we, we want people to learn and to grow outside of that framework. But if they're if people are kind of working in different directions, then that doesn't work for me, sure. uh, you know, and we don't have you know, I, I've talked to lawyers, for instance, who build, you know, a guy building a law firm. And, you know, I've always felt like, well, you go to school to become a lawyer and there are lots of law firms. I'm sure they change over time, but there's there is a way of doing things as a law firm. And, you know, with an ad agency like I have, it's a little different. You know, you don't have, you know, yes, there are ways of doing things, but there's no real um, code that says who's right or what the best methods are. And so my first challenge was really, it was all about training. Um, yeah. You know, I really couldn't hire until, until I'd cracked that code, you know, and I tried to, I tried to hire a little bit before I understood that. And, uh, and then I sort of put things on pause, developed this training program, and then I was able to, you know, to, to move forward on it. Yeah. Well, that's pretty, um, ambitious to develop your own training program and that's no. Yeah. Well, you know, so for me, you know, you mentioned how you like to kind of dip into a project and, 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 you know, you know, there are certain things, you know, I like the training side of it. You know, yeah. I do like, I've always liked teaching, you know, actually I coach as well, yeah. uh, you know, outside of this. And, um, you know, so it, it was ambitious, no question about it. And it was way harder than I ever mm -hmm. anticipated that it would be. But yeah. at the same time, I do enjoy that. And so um, I, I'm a big believer in figuring out, you know, what you can, what, what you can enjoy that also makes money. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and that sort of somehow it's never going to be it's never going to be as easy as sometimes people say it is, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, doing something you love and you never work a day in your life. You know, I I, I doubt that that's anybody's real story. Yeah. Uh, but I do think there is something to be said for figuring out what you're good at, what you enjoy, and then directing that strategically towards uh, moneymaker. Yeah. 
I agree. I, I, I used to always say, or I sometimes still do say that, um, you know, you don't, um, you don't live to work, but there is fulfillment and job satisfaction that, you know, brings you fulfillment in, in your work. So, you know, you take pride in that and yeah. you can, and it's rewarding. Absolutely. So, um, in terms of metrics, you know, you mentioned metrics when you, when, you know, and how you thought about that a lot when you first started your business or you first joined the business rather, um, what, what is the key metric that you focus on? Like if you just had to look at one metric, you know, to know if your company was healthy or not, could you do that? Like, is there, is there one metric that you focus on? Well, there's a million metrics out there, obviously. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, we use Intuit QuickBooks online and, um, and so I can pull, you know, job profitability and I have kind of my own formulas for putting some of these numbers together. And I guess, um, in, in the end, if you could measure it, it would probably be customer satisfaction, would, would yeah. be but it's not an easy one to measure. And so, um, you know, we look to job profitability and it doesn't mean maximizing profitability. It means yeah. is the profitability correct? We have certain margins that we need to make and it, yeah. and it accounts for a salesman's commission and it accounts for potentially financing a job and, and then it's, um, you know, cover the overhead of the company and then, you know, some, you know, whatever else needs to be there. Yeah. And, and we try to hit, we try to hit that metric and, um, you know, we can quickly pull reports from, from QuickBooks and, and find out if we're missing the mark on a certain customer. And then we delve into right. that and really, and really look into it. Yeah. But the customer satisfaction is the most important point. One of the most important metrics, if, if we can gauge it and it's, it's not really that as tangible as yeah. a profitability or uh, any other number. And yeah. so we kind of got to pull that, um, through customer interactions with emails, yeah. phone calls, reviews and, uh, and things like that. And, and referrals, obviously yeah. a big part of, um, our customer acquisition and we love to get referrals. Um, and so, when you have a customer that isn't as satisfied, it could be one of several things on the customer's end. You're building a fence and they expect a piano, you're building a deck and they see a splinter or you need to sit. Yeah. And so, and so, and so one opportunity to coach and mentor my sales guys, my office manager is, you know, you talk about expectation management. Yeah. Um, so, you know, right up front, you tell the customer, you know, don't lower your expectations, but this is a fence. This is how it's constructed. And yeah. we've created manuals on exactly where every nail, screw, bolt, how deep the post is in the ground, how much concrete you use. And the customer, the sales guys have these books and it shows that not only the, the design, but the construction of every, um, type of product that we have. And, you know, Sometimes they're not using them because they're, you know, they either forget it, maybe taking a shortcut, they left it with some, whatever. Yeah. But setting expectations is very important. Um, timeliness for, for our part, that's part of, that's a huge customer expectation. Like we go out and give an estimate. Are we on time? Are they getting their proposal time? Are we getting materials? Is the lead time accurate from our vendors? And, and if it's not, you know, if there's something happens like, um, ships are uh, there's some sort of embargo off of you know the port and you can't get aluminum from wherever that's yeah. you know, made um that may disrupt operations it could add to some costs it could you know those sorts of things obviously wood prices have gone through the roof now and 
Um, so we need to tell the customer that, hey, this, this price is only good for two weeks. Um, right. We might see a 10% rise next month in wood prices. And it's not a sales gimmick. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, and so you need to set those expectations. And that's a big part of customer satisfaction. But yeah, um, that would be the kind of the premier pinnacle uh, metric if we could really, yeah. really measure that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, yeah, I think both of those metrics are, are going to be key. Um, I, I do think of um, uh, a metric uh, called, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it, it is extremely important. It's hard to measure. Um, I believe it's, it's the net promoter score. Um, so the net promoter score is, it's, it's, it's a either negative one, if a customer will not refer you to, to someone they know. It is a zero, if a customer um, uh, you know, they're happy, but they're, but they're not, but they're probably, you know, they aren't, you know, they, they may or may not refer you. And it's a pl positive one if a customer definitely wants to refer you to, to friends. And so, you know, kind of this negative one, zero, one scale net promoter score is aims to get at that, you know, that question of customer satisfaction. Yeah. And I remember once somebody said that that is the, the metric where, all the other metrics in your business ought to work out if yeah. the net promoter score is always positive one. Um, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think I like it. Yeah, yeah, I like I'm it too. To look at that. Yeah, it's 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 a good one. Um, yeah, I, I think about it a lot, and I think um, ultimately it probably is the most important thing. Um, but I I think um, you know I think you know there are a handful of others as ceo that we've got to be looking at too and 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 uh you know i think i think if i had to, to narrow it down to just one i think it would be that net promoter score um and uh, uh i think uh you know i think a lot of people in services businesses really ought to you know be be thinking about that kind of yeah. thing that's a good one i'll i'll definitely uh look into that so um do you have anything um you know that you uh um uh, you know, is there, is there anything that you wish you'd known when you first became CEO that you can think of? You know, there's a, like taking a quote from Donald Rumsfeld, right? There's, there's things, you know, yeah. that, you know, and there's things, you know, you don't know things you don't know, you don't know. And there were a lot of those, you know, cause I didn't yeah. grow up in the industry. I mean, I tinkered with my dad and he, promoted this small business and stuff. And we'd always had projects going around the house. So I was semi-mechanically inclined, arguably. But um, but I never really run a small a small business. And um, so there were a lot of the things that I didn't yeah. know that I didn't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think that I had the confidence, I had the capability, I had all the attributes to figure that out. Yeah. Um, with the training that I've had in the military and, uh, you know, the education that I got in the military and the experience that I've gotten in the military. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't realize, I guess that it would be so hard to, um, you know, to, to manage some assets of the business employees. It's never, it's never easy, no. um, especially when you're not co-located. I, I it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, it's great having a co-owner that is co-located, but I would love, you know, to be able to step into the office and do my work yeah. with my coworkers there. And, and I don't have, I don't have that luxury. And so, um, 
you know, I, I didn't, I didn't expect that to be so, so difficult. And, and had I known how hard it, that it, that it is, it, it might've changed, um, the approach that I took getting in, into this business, hmm. maybe, maybe a little bit, I, you know, would you have maybe done it in a way where you were co-located? Is that what you, what you mean? Well, you know, I moved 13, 14 times in my military career. And so there wasn't a snowball's chance in hell that I was moving <laughs> up to Northern Virginia uh, or moving anywhere really yeah. with all the traffic up there and just, just leaving, leaving yeah. the beach. I, I was done uh, moving. So, um, I don't know that it, it would, you know, in a business certainly wouldn't be the same down here because we had a lot of the contacts up there because my business partner, Chris, is, is up there and has been in this kind of industry forever. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. We might have structured it a little bit differently or, um, you know, it, it's, hard, it's hard to say. I hadn't really given that one much thought, so I can't give you a hard answer. That's all right. That's all right. So, um, um, uh, had, had one other question. So did you ever feel like giving up? Did you ever feel like, I mean, so you've been in this five years, I'm sure it's a grind sometimes, you know, did you ever, have you, have you kind of always been gung ho about, you know, sticking it, you know, continuing to grow, continuing to, to, you know, to build the business? Well, yeah, I don't, um, I, I don't really think about failure much. I mean, I, you know, see failure is not an option, right? Well, right. I mean, you just don't, you don't think about it. You're not going to, you're not going to fail. Right. Um, there are times uh, I flew for the Navy, right? So there are times that I would like to be, you know, sitting back, sitting back, kicking up my feet in a 747 flying around the world <laughs> instead of right underneath the crawl space running wires or uh, on the computer and QuickBooks. Sure. You know, there yeah. are, um, but, you know, all in all, when I sit back and, and you know, soak it all up, I, I'm not, you know, I know, I think that um, we're, we're in a good, we're in a good place. We're, we're growing reasonably. So I don't want unconstrained growth, um, yeah. you know, and I think things are, are getting better. The processes now are yeah. taking hold. We got a lot of familiarity with the processes and, and the employees. There's a good understanding. They know it what they need to do now or we need, we probably need to add one or two. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I, you know, I think you'd agree. I mean, you're not, failure is not an option. Or you're just it's not. not, it's not. So my first business though, I, um, it was very different than what I'm doing now. I, when I left Capitol Hill, I started a software company and, um, there were at the time there were these new exciting types of soft of, of fundraising software. You know, it was, you know, friend to friend fundraising was totally brand new. And so we, we built a company that was helping universities and, and private secondary schools take advantage of that. Um, yeah. you know, things like Kickstarter and, and things like yeah. that. Um, and, um, uh, so we raised a little bit of money, you know, from investors, um, you know, we're kind of in the venture capital type world where, you know, they investors come in, put in money and you run the company, you, you give up, a, you know, a good chunk of your ownership. Um, and um, in some ways you lose a bit of, con you, well, in a lot of ways you lose control of, of the company by comparison to when you're sure. running it on your own with none of that. Um, in any case, you know, I'm not a software developer, but I was building a software company, which 
that that was a mistake. Like that was no question. I mean, I, I, the company was not a mistake. It was it was an amazing experience, and and eventually it was acquired by you know by another firm in the space. So it was a success story. Um, but uh, it was it it was not something I would ever repeat. You know, I after that, I remember thinking, you know, I'm doing this again. And I'm keeping control. I want to do something where I determine the quality of the product, you know, yes. you know, and, uh, and, and in that situation, failure is not an option. You know, there's yeah. no, you know, I just, you know, that's it. I'm just going to do, I'm going to do something. It's going to work. And, uh, and that's just been my mindset. Yeah. I think you hit on, hit on it when you talk about, you know, you, you got to understand your core competency. Yeah. Um, and maybe developing software wasn't, wasn't yours. Yeah. And you know, when you, when you get out, when, when I got out of the military and, and to this day, I'm thinking, you know, there's so many opportunities that I have with, yeah, I have a service disabled veteran owned small business on the side and, and we work closely together with Nova build pros, um, to, you know, for on some of these projects on bases around here and, and up in Northern Virginia. And, there's a lot of opportunity there and there's, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's limitless, but so you got to yeah. kind of put the blinders on a little bit and realize yeah. what are your strengths. And in that you kind of start understanding your, your weaknesses and, and gravitate towards your strengths and your businesses. And, and then you're going to be more successful. I think your strengths are your strengths for a reason. It's probably because you, you have more experience in it. You, you like it more, you, whatever, whatever it is. And, yeah. and so, that's one thing that I've learned going along here is really you got to kind of just, you know, focus on your strengths. Don't try to be everything to everyone. And, yeah. And then you're going to have a better chance of success. Yeah. Warren Buffett's uh, business partner had put had a, a nice way of describing this. You know, he said, you know, um, he tries to stick to his zone of competence. Um, and as an example, he says, you know, there's no level low enough to describe how bad he would have done in life if he had tried to be a French horn player. You know, he would have just been as low as they come in terms of accomplishment. Um, and he just happens to live at a moment in which capital allocation is vastly rewarded. And, uh, you know, just, you know, and so, you know, he didn't pick it necessarily. But, I mean, he says he didn't pick it necessarily because it was so well rewarded. It was because it was in his his zone of competence. And um, so, you know, I um, I think that's I think that's a smart way to be for uh, you know for any business owner. I mean, I think it's essential. Yeah, I mean, you you, you have to at least at the start you have to do that. And I've heard yeah. a lot a lot of businesses stray the course a little bit and and end up um, yeah you know, they, they lose their comparative advantage and, and, um, and the whole business suffers because of this one aspect. Well, I, I agree. And you, you mentioned something about the challenges of growing at a certain, from one size to another, you know, like 2 million to 5 million or 5 million to 10 million rather. Um, and, you know, I think in some ways smaller is better. You know, there are, there are certain things where, you know, you get past a certain point, you know, and I don't know what that point is, but let's say it's a hundred million and if for some businesses anyway, and the character of that business is going to change, you know, after a certain point, you know, you can't, 
show up at job sites. You know, you can't, you yeah. know, you know, and especially if you've got investors, you know, there are certain goals you have to set. You can't make exceptions to keep clients happy necessarily. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, bigger is not always better. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and as your company grows, you morph into a, you know, a different role, yeah. right? So, you know, if you're out there painting houses, um, and, and then you hire somebody now, guess what? You're a manager. Yeah. And you may suck right. at managing even does, despite how good you are at painting houses, you may not be able to manage your way out of a, a wet paper bag. And so, yeah. um, and just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're a good coach at something or a mentor or those yeah. things, but you automatically take on that role when you bring on people, you're a coach, a, a mentor, right. a life coach, a friend, you know, all these things. And, and it just compounds as you, as you, as you grow. That's right. That's right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation from, from my perspective, really, really enjoyed learning about your business and I think other people are going to find this valuable. Was there any anything else you wanted to talk about? Any um, any other any things we didn't get to? I don't think so. Well, I I don't know. I probably talked too much, but now uh, you appreciate it. It was uh, good for me, and and uh, it was good to revisit the sorts of things that uh, yeah, kind of the the path that I've taken to get here. And yeah, I appreciate it. Well, so before you jump, why don't you just let people know how they can you know what where, where they should go if they want to hire Nova build pros, you know, what kind of, you know, yeah. Kind of, I want you to list off what kind Shane of Scott. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hit me. Yeah. Well, you can uh, go to our website, www.novabuildpros.com. You can find us on Facebook or you can call our uh, office 703-794-5000 and, um, you know, hit us up.